what a leader, particularly a Christian leader, does in moderation, their followers will do in excess. Hmm. So hmm. you are modeling for your followers how to act. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Join us as we discuss trends, learn from experts, and share practical tips to help your ministry multiply its digital impact. Well, welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams, and today we've got Dan Darling with us. Dan is a senior VP at NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters. He's also an author of about nine books and has got a couple more coming out soon. Um, Dan, I'm just super, super excited to have you have you with us today, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing some of your expertise. Well, I'm glad to be with you, and uh, I've loved the work that you've done with 5Q and have known you for, I feel like, several years, and I uh, love the way that you guys empower ministry. Glad to be on here. Yeah, yeah. So so I know you've worked with several different ministries before starting mm-hmm. to work with NRB, and our audience really is interested in helping ministry scale at the digital in the digital space. So just talk about talk to us a little bit about how long you've been working in the digital space and what your work journey, work experience has looked like. Yeah, you know it's interesting because um you know I'm I'm Gen X. I'm a, I'm a young Gen Xer. I was born in 78, so I'm I, I'm not a digital native, I'm a digital immigrant as they say. Yep. Yep. Same here. Uh, so I do. I you know my my kids cannot even fathom a world where we didn't have iPhones, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have social media, we didn't have all that stuff. But you know my whole really adult life has been involved with this. I think I kind of got my start. You know I worked as a writer and editor for Christian organization for a long time, and then kind of that was in the early times when like the web was so rudimentary. You know we just thought it was yeah. cool if you had stuff up there if you had color photographs online or something and, and the then, blink and the blink tag and all the, yes. all the yeah. e-commerce we, you could buy stuff online that's we, right that was amazing like we were cutting edge and then i pastored for a while but even in my writing and myself i've always got, kind of been involved in the digital space and digital you know for me digital ministries have really discipled me in many ways they've helped mm. connect me to other good ministry you know i think of like mm-hmm. the gospel coalition i think of uh revive our hearts i think of podcasts that i've have shaped me in conferences and all that. I just want to shout out to people doing that work behind the yeah. scenes, posting stuff and making sure it runs well. You're doing really good work because you don't know who's going to download, who's going to listen and have their life impacted. I, me personally, have yeah. been impacted by that. Uh, we talk a lot about how the internet can be toxic and bad, and it can be, but I think of this side where it can be really, really good and helpful for ministry. Uh, so I pastored and, and then I, I, came to ERLC in 2013 and I was VP of communications and now I'm at NRB and I'm kind of my whole, the last decade really has been helping ministries uh, revitalize, you know, rebrand, establish a a presence with content Mm -hmm. and trying to be a voice and influence in, in in their area of expertise. And I really Mm -hmm. enjoy that. I really enjoy kind of building a team and, having a, having a, a game plan and kind of putting that together and putting good content out there on the internet. That's great. That's great. It, it's fascinating to me to hear how you know, you're like me, you're not a digital native, digital immigrant. Um, I'm probably about eight years older than you. So, but I remember those days when e-commerce, when Amazon came out, I remember before Google, all those times. 
Um, but your your experience, how do you how would you say your experience as a pastor has shaped the way that you communicate with people in the online sphere? And especially maybe even that ties to your book that you just wrote um, came out last year, Away with Words. So just, just talk with us about that. Yeah. So I mean, I've always the other thing part of me, if I've I've always worked with words. If you look at my whole career, uh, my dad worked with his hands. Hmm. He is a retired plumber. Mm -hmm. really good at it. I work with words. So it's, it's kind of funny. Ever since I was a kid, we got three newspapers a day and I read those. Uh, I read all the time. We didn't have a television. We only had radio. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I've always been a writer ever since about middle school when I had a, a middle school teacher tell me at our Christian school, you know, I'm turning in some assignments for English composition or whatever. And she says, you know, I think you have a gift here to write. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're a middle mm -hmm. school kid, who's like clumsy and Mm -hmm. you know, trying to find your place in the world. Mm -hmm. You're not athletic to have someone tell you, actually, here's one thing you're good at. You, you kind of take that and run with it. So I have, I mean, I've, I've been a writer my whole life with whatever position I'm, I've been in. And then of course, working in communications, um, you know, we live at a time, you know, there's two things that I think about when I think about online communication. I first think about the way that the Bible talks about our speech that, mm -hmm. The Bible talks about humans as communicating beings mm -hmm. because we serve, we're created by a communicating God. And we open the pages of the Bible, we have a God who speaks, which, you know, in the ancient Near East was a, was a big thing. We have a God who speaks. He's not just remote. He has spoken. He spoke the worlds yeah. into existence. Part of what separates us as image bearers is that we communicate. I mean, animals communicate at a rudimentary level, right? Your dog or your parrot or whatever. But they're not writing a novel. They're not mm -hmm. running for mayor. You know, they're not hosting a TV mm -hmm. show that we know of. <laughs> so and, uh, humans communicate at a high level. It's part of what makes us image bearers. Um, and yeah. so the Bible has a lot to say about our speech and about our words. It, and sometimes I think Christians think that as long as we're saying we're on the right side, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how we communicate. So I, I have that in my brain. Mm -hmm. And then I also have an, an, uh, on this other part that I'm thinking about that we are in this digital age where it's never been easier to communicate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just hasn't. I mean, with a few t uh, taps of our, of the keyboard, with a few uh, taps of our thumbs, we can send a message to the world and anybody can communicate. There's, it's really flattened to where uh, people can create platforms pretty easily. And so I just think we have to think well about how do we steward this moment, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to go back. 50 years mm -hmm. to a time when we didn't have this. Uh, the internet's here to stay, I think. Social media is here to stay, I think. Um, blogs and email and all that. So as Christians living in this age, how do we steward that well? And that's kind of mm -hmm. what I'm trying to, to get at with away with words like, and particularly for Christian leaders. And I know a lot of mm -hmm. leaders listen. Leaders need to especially think about this because this is what I think James 3 is saying, that what a leader particularly a Christian leader does in moderation, their followers will do in excess. Hmm. So hmm. you are modeling for your followers how to act. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you look at actually James three, it talks about the sober weight of being a Christian leader. And then it goes right into the power of the tongue. I think those two are connected. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes forget as leaders that we're in public and people are mm -hmm. watching us. And so th this is one of the, main reasons I wanted to write this book. 
No, that's great. I love what you said. What a leader does, what, what a leader does in moderation, the fo his followers, his or her followers will do in excess. And uh, that, that's, a, that's a sobering thought. It really is. Both for myself as a dad, thinking about how do I model the godly behavior? How do I model living the Christian life as a dad, as well as leading an organization and, uh, and, and engage in church and, and, and all those things? Yeah, that's, that's really good. What? Yeah, I, I, go ahead. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, I, I think about that myself as a dad too, because when you start hearing your kids say the things that you say, you're like, okay, I need to really think about the way I'm speaking. And, and obviously the, the more people we have looking at us and following us, the bigger that responsibility is, right? Yeah, yeah. Just thinking about that, you, you mentioned, you, you kind of breezed over this, not just what you say as a Christian, but it's also how we say it. And, and I think of my, my oldest son who's married and, and uh, I, I think I hear, I, it's scary, but I hear myself in him, not just what he says, but also how he says some of the things that he says. And so, so talk, talk to us about what, what, is a, what are some ways that Christians can be conscious communicators about not just what they're saying, but also how they're saying what they're saying. Well, I think we can ask, we can um, ask ourselves a few questions. I think one, we can just remember that when we're online, we're in public. Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, so let's just imagine you only have a hundred friends on Facebook or a hundred followers on Twitter or Instagram, which is pretty easy to do, right? That doesn't sound like a lot, but imagine a room full of a hundred people. Yeah. And how are you talking in that room? Now imagine you have a thousand or 10,000. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking a minor league baseball stadium, or what if you have a hundred thousand followers or, or more, now you're talking stadiums of people that are watching you. Um, and I think this is especially important in our, in our interactions. If I, I actually think we can have substantive debates online mm -hmm. with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need to remember that we're in public. So we need to not picture ourselves behind our laptops or phones, but actually sitting across from someone in an auditorium full of people. And how would we mm -hmm. interact with that person? So mm -hmm. I think remember that we're in public. We also need to remember that the person that we're interacting with is a human being. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. our digital mediums flatten that. There are things you would not say in public if you're sitting down over coffee or breakfast. You may disagree, mm -hmm. but you're going to moderate. You're going you're, you're to have a different kind of time, type of discussion. I think remembering people on the other side of Facebook or other side of Twitter are human beings. We tend to reduce people like they're the sum, you know, to their arguments. Like mm -hmm. that's all they are is their bad mm -hmm. ideas. I mean, I may disagree with you. I may actually think you're wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not all you are. That's, that's mm -hmm. just an opinion you have. Yeah. And we tend yeah. to dehumanize people that way. So I think we have to remember the humanity. I also think we have to ask ourselves, particularly leaders, especially leaders, do I need to say something about this topic at this time? Mm -hmm. Right. There's this idea that silence is violence. And if I don't say something, then I'm complicit mm -hmm. and all that. I don't believe that. For one, what people mm -hmm. are really saying is you're not saying it on the same medium as I am. At the same. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that you have to be as mad as I am at the same time as I am on the same platform as I am about the same issue as I am, you know? So ask ourselves, do I need to speak to this issue? And, and there's times that you do. Yeah. And then how can I speak to this in a way that can be heard and not misunderstood? 
what am I trying to, the other questions we all need to ask ourselves is what am I trying to do here? Am I legitimately trying to use my voice to speak mm. up about an important issue or to support this or to help somebody? Mm-hmm. Or am I just trying to perform? Mm-hmm. See, there's a lot of performative, there's a performative nature to a lot of our online mm-hmm. activity. We want to be affirmed by one group mm-hmm. and praised by a certain group. And I think that's especially true among Christians, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So we just have to ask ourselves all those questions before we do it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't engage. I actually think we should engage. These are where the conversations are happening. But I think we need to ask ourselves those good questions. No, those are excellent questions to to, to think about. And, and uh, there's a good chance that when we go back through this podcast, we'll, we'll, we'll note some of those in the show notes. So, uh, um, you know, your first chapter in the, in the book is ever learning and never arriving. Uh, you know, that, 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 that talks to the mindset, another, just another thing around the mindset. Um, what are some of the ways that you are, that, that you have that mindset and that you're constantly learning about the medium, but also about the people that you're engaging in online? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, really what I'm, what I'm doing here in this chapter is trying to help us discern between a genuine pursuit of knowledge that the scripture commends, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. This insatiable curiosity and hunger that humans have for knowledge. I mean, we have a whole book, Proverbs, encouraging us toward pursuing knowledge and wisdom. So this curiosity, we a have whole book of there. tweets, you can almost say. We do have a book of tweets. That's essentially right. This was like Solomon just completely tweeting. out of context, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, that's exactly what it is. So there's a difference between a, a genuine pursuit of knowledge, a, a healthy curiosity for wisdom, and to know things about the world, and a kind of mm-hmm. um, busybody, mm. gossipy type information that Paul talks about when he talks about busybodies, when he talks about foolish quarrels and stupid mm-hmm. controversies. And I, I think the internet gives us the opportunity for both. One of the mm-hmm. traps is, you know, we can fall down rabbit holes. We can chase things that are not true. Um, you, you know, having this phone in our pockets gives us this illusion of being in control, mm-hmm. this illusion of being all known. There's an author, uh, Jen Michelle, Jen Pollock Michelle has a great book mm-hmm. called uh, Beautiful Paradox. She talks in there about one of the central temptations to Eve was the idea that she could be all knowing Hmm. that, that you, there's, there's a kind of knowledge that you're God's, you're God's holding out on you about. Mm -hmm. And it's really true. We, we were not meant to bear the weight of being all knowing only Mm -hmm. God is supposed to be all knowing, Mm -hmm. but our phones and Google and the internet give us this illusion that all knowing, and this is part of the reason why, I don't know about you, but you start to get a little twitchy when you haven't been around your phone for an hour or two. It's because we feel like there's something going on in the world that I don't know about and therefore can't control. Mm -hmm. And I think this just kind of leads to frustration. This is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about ever, ever learning, never able to come to knowledge of truth. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of this hamster wheel of useless information that doesn't help us. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, and, and the problem with that kind of pursuit of information it keeps us from good knowledge and good wisdom, right? And even uh, secular sociologists are saying this. Uh, Nick, uh, Nicholas Carr has a book called The Shallows where he talks about how mm-hmm. our comprehension has been lowered because we're just used to scanning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not reading deeply. And so I think we have to resist some of that. Like, I don't really, I have to ask myself, do I need to know about the latest drama with 
Prince Harry and Meghan? Do I need to know about the Kardashians? Do I need like mm-hmm. just to pick that or, or, or some endless controversy or drama that doesn't really affect me. And mm-hmm. is that keeping me from deeper knowledge and deeper wisdom? And uh, just to kind of bring it home, you asked about how do I keep, how should leaders keep themselves learning? And I think that's such an important thing. I think one of those things is to read widely, mm-hmm. to read broadly, to read outside of our bubble, to mm-hmm. read people that we may not agree with all the time, to read different genres. You know, in this business, you and I can get stuck into kind of a rut of just reading productivity business mm-hmm. type books. And we need to read that stuff to be sharp. But I think that can, that can kind of be formulaic in a way that we're not really so I, I like to read personally. I love to read biographies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my favorite thing. I learned so much about history, about life, about people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to read books on theology, books on, you know, leadership, all that, but just try to keep myself fresh that mm-hmm. way. I also think having good friendships and mm-hmm. with people who might dis- who we know are going to disagree with us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who we know are going to challenge us, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. You know, what you, everything you just said also reminds me of what Paul said in Corinthians, just about the knowledge puffs up, but love builds up and, and bringing that attitude of really, it's, it's, it's like what you said, it's about the people who are on the other side of that computer screen. It's mm-hmm. not, they're not just hits. They're not just views. They're real people in, interacting and engaging. And uh, yeah, how, how can you, how can you express love? In a, in a real meaningful way, even in an online, online context. So those are great, great principles. Who would you say, uh, who would you say that book specifically, and, and you've, you've, you've written a bunch, but who would you say that book specifically, who do you, who you would recommend really should get a copy of that book? Who's your target audience? You know, I, I'd like to say everybody, every author says that, right? <laughs> everybody go buy the book and we'll figure that out later. I, I do think Christians who spend a lot of time online, mm-hmm. um, whether you're on Facebook a lot, whether you're someone who, um, you know, I have wrote a chapter on kind of the, the Instagram influencer and kind of some of the temptations there, mm-hmm. uh, the, the temptation to kind of curate a version of ourselves that we think and hope people will approve of that will give us affirmation that really only God can give us. That's right. Um, I think leaders too, I'd like to see a lot of Christian leaders read it to interact with it. Cause yeah. we talk really about leadership. We talk about the various tribes and, you know, silos and bubbles that I think leaders can get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's a real danger right now for in the Christian world, in the evangelical world, just to be, to be blunt. Uh, and I wrote a newsletter about this a couple a month or so ago, but thinking just like, you know, we can stay as, as writers, as creators, as pastors, leaders at non at evangelical ministries, mm-hmm. we can easily stay in the green room. If you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. where we're only mm-hmm. talking to peers yeah. and the conversation, those are important conversations. I think Twitter is yeah. a lot like a green room, honestly. Hmm. It's like a, it's like a, it's like an evangelical green room where we're talking, leaders are talking to each other yeah. about, about maybe the people they lead. Yeah. We can, we can get stuck in that green room and not, and get really um, separated from the ordinary Christian. Sure, who, sure. You know, and you think about our ministries, Chad. Uh, 
our ministries for the most part are reaching ordinary Christians. Mm -hmm. Now they're listening to the radio. They're listening to a podcast. They're reading an article. uh, They're watching a Christian TV. They probably are not up with the latest controversies. You know, the last seven controversies that Christians are arguing about online. Mm -hmm. They may not know who all these people are, but they're just trying to faithfully live out their Christian life. And yeah. I think if as leaders, we can get so stuck in this professional world that we forget who we're actually serving, that we forget we're yeah. actually serving the body of Christ. And we forget that the kingdom of God is mostly made up of ordinary Christians. That's right. I mean, you have that's people right. who are, God's given a platform to, and that's great. I mean, like if God had yeah. did had not given Tim Keller a platform or Nancy Lee DeMoss a platform or Chuck Swindoll a platform, it wouldn't have reached me in Chicago on Moody Radio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, the kingdom of God is mostly built from ordinary people like my father, who's a plumber who just goes to church. He's never going to write a book. That's right. He doesn't have a blog. He doesn't tweet. He, he, you know, like, so I think we, we, as leaders, we need to not forget who we're, yeah, who we're serving and where we've come from. Cause, right. uh, I mean, that's, you know, again, I, that's something I tell my kids, you know, when they are tempted to put somebody up on a pedestal, I said, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. And, uh, you know, as leaders have the humility to remember where we've come from and who we're serving and uh, both the people, but also the ultimate one that we're serving. Um, you know, that, that, that also really leads into my next question because a lot of what you've been saying about us as individual individuals or individual leaders that are engaged in, in, uh, um, interacting with people. Mm-hmm. What about that, 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 that person who is responsible for the digital communications of an entire ministry? Mm. So it's not just personally putting things out there, but how would you encourage them or what advice might you have for them to how they can engage with their audience on behalf of an organization? That's a great question. I first want to say uh, people doing that work are, he- are the real heroes. Mm. And one of the things it's tempting to do is to get discouraged about the state of the church, the state of evangelicalism and all the controversies, but Mm -hmm. to remember there are other people on the other side of what you're doing who need the content that you're putting out there. Yeah. There's a truck driver who uh, is having a troubled marriage. Yeah. He's listening in the middle of the night to the podcast. There's a single mom trying to keep it all together. Mm -hmm. There's a young teen who, is just wrestling with God who needs to hear the content. And there's, there's a, a temptation to say, well, everything that's already been said and written has already been said and written. There's no purpose to what we're doing. We're just, but that's not true. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you're serving people that you don't even know. Uh, I, I think to keep in mind that you're serving the body of Christ as a parachurch ministry, as a Christian ministry with content, you're serving the body of Christ you're serving the church to keep that in mind. I also think um, being wise about how you manage your your presence and brand on social and online. You know, mm-hmm. we're in an era where brands, you know, feel like they have to step out and say things, and you know, which is, which I think is actually off putting to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a professionalism I think of a ministry or a brand on social that. Um, you know, should be maintained, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, the other thing I want to say is, how do I say this? 
we kind of represent the companies we work for, the organizations we work for. So even if it's, even if we're talking about our personal social media, you know, uh, we got to be wise about the things we say online. Yeah. Uh, and who we work for, who we represent, you know, you can embarrass, (laughs) you can embarrass your organization by being crass by being flippant by not thinking about what you're saying and tweeting and posting or you can kind yeah. of unnecessarily insult the people who are the reason that we have these positions and jobs mm-hmm. and stuff so i know that's a tricky thing because you know how do you separate those things but that's some advice about it but i mostly would say encouragement you know the yeah. god is using the digital ministry that our ministers are doing in such incredible ways in ways we, we can't even really measure till, till uh, Jesus returns. Uh, so I, I would say, keep the faith, keep heart, that devotional you post, that podcast, you upload the yeah. video, um, keeping it. I, I think keeping, keeping things fresh and, you know, as you know, Chad, you know, this more, this more than anybody, cause you're advising ministries on this, but we live in such a visual age. Mm-hmm. So that, first impression when they come to your site um, really matters, you know, whether you're a church mm-hmm. or a ministry and, you know, the people don't, not everyone as a designer and artist, but they do know mm-hmm. in their mind, they could subconsciously discern between this is dated and this is fresh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you yeah. probably have more sophisticated way of, of talking about that when you talk about cl- with clients, but anyways, yeah. just some random thoughts. No, that's, that's really helpful. And, you know, a lot of the folks that are in the, that role mm-hmm. of, of doing the daily ministry of, of taking great content and making it available to folks, a, a lot of those are either on the front lines doing the work or, or managing a team that's doing the work. A lot of them are, are digital natives themselves. So, you know, you're in a senior position inside of an organization, but you weren't always there. And sometimes these digital natives may have some great ideas, but this feels like they're hitting a brick wall or a glass ceiling when they try to, to get yes. their leadership on board, especially some of these more established ministries. So what, what would you say to that digital director or that designer or that programmer who has some great ideas? How can they communicate effectively up the chain, if you will? Man, I am so glad you mentioned that. That is such a passion of mine. And I do think sometimes there could be this kind of gulf between, um, you know, senior leadership and mm-hmm. the next generation who's probably doing digital because mm-hmm. it, it's a lot like sometimes it can be like um, a church environment where you have a pastor who hires this hot young youth pastor to kind of reach the youth, but he, you know, there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need to think about this from two ways. I, you know, I don't know where I fit cause I'm, Gen X, I'm 43, so I'm probably straddling that divide a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for those of us in senior leadership, we need to be nimble and listen to the younger generation. Young, I, so I yeah. just want to say, I am very impressed with kind of the Gen Z mm. folks that are coming and working in Christian communications. Now, I've yeah. had a chance to hire a number of them. These are, in my mind, among the most nimble, adaptive mm-hmm people that you can give who could also have high capacity, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I've tended mm-hmm. to hire young up and coming people in digital comms. I just love it because That's they have great. energy, they have ideas, yep. they have a lot of capacity. They can, yep. you know, they, they're also, they've also grown up in an environment where you have to know how to 
do several different types of things. Yep. And so it's not a stretch. Whereas for, for someone like me or, you know, even older, you know, to try to sit and learn different things is hard. So I, I'm impressed. Yeah. So I would say for those of us in senior leadership or people, you know, people who are an older generation, um, to, to try to give space for younger people to, to advance, to have their ideas yeah. heard, um, yeah. to be, to list, to, uh, to be listened to, uh, I, I would say that and, and make a space, you know, people generally in an organization want to see pathways to advancement. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to see where does this, where is this leading? Where can this go? Mm-hmm. People, um, like to get paid, they like to have salary, they like all that. But really what animates people is the work. Yeah. And so if, the, if they're yeah. involved in big projects that are bigger than themselves, if they have a key, if they have a stake in what they're in doing something big for the organization, I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. that gets people up in the morning and, and that's meaningful work. So I would say yeah. that to anybody in a senior position who's hiring or who is managing a team to try to get buy-in and not be intimidated by opinions and ideas from another, even if you don't do this stuff, just to hear it. For younger yeah. folks, I would say, you know, a couple of things. I think number one, understand that the season you're in is not your whole life. Mm. So when you're young, you have ideas, you have opinions. This is great. You have energy. Uh, this is a season. You know, I've worked in several different places since I've been an adult. This is not forever. Um, you also, you know, especially legacy organizations, change happens, doesn't happen all of a sudden. Change happens over time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, mm-hmm. good leaders pace out the change. And, and, and it may be going at a pace that, that you're on, you, you wish it was going faster. But I think you have mm-hmm. to understand that for older generations, you know, they have experience with change. They also are wanting to guard what they have, the good things that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's wisdom there that we don't have. Uh, and so I think we also have to respect the people that built the, the organization we're, we're part yeah. of, right? We walk yeah. into these legacy institutions and legacy organizations and think they just happened. But remember that someone built this, someone's blood, sweat, mm-hmm. and tears built this, someone ideas. So when you come into an organization, for instance, and you know they need to rebrand, you know they need to change what they're doing, you might look at their digital presence and think these guys don't have a clue. Remember that what they're doing now was the hot, cool thing when it was, when it first came out. Yeah. And yeah. remember that what you're, one of the things I try to remember when you go into an organization to try to turn around is remember the thing you're trying to turn around was someone's baby. It was someone's um, big project, someone's cool yeah. thing. Yeah. So we got to be careful about, the arrogance, I think, that can sometimes happen with youth of, of kind of like, you know, we're the ones we're, we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that uh, is fi- we're the generation that's finally going to get it. I think we need more inter- intergenerational dialogue. We need mm-hmm. to listen. You know, one of the mm-hmm. things that I think gets, I get nervous about organizations that are siloed. Mm-hmm. So if it's all a bunch of young, smart up and comers in a room that can produce a lot of energy and a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have any wisdom from another generation in that room, you're going to make really bad mistakes. You're going to mm-hmm. think your view is the view only view that people think of. You're going to be in an echo chamber. 
And I think it's good to have the energy. And, and I think that can happen at the end of the scale. You know, if, if it's a bunch yeah. of folks that have been yeah. together for a long time, you can get isolated and also out of touch. So I think we need these intergenerational things, yeah. uh, working together, giving, sacrificing. One <laughs> of the things, more thing I would say to young people, have ideas, but hold them loosely. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. my idea for this is not infallible. It was not yeah. carved in slate on Mount Sinai. It can be amended. It's the biggest thing I tell young creatives, like especially writers, be willing to be edited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and have a life where you can be edited, where your stuff can be tweaked and don't take that personally. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, that was just a stream of consciousness. But No, that's that's super helpful. And that whole concept of, holding things loosely, because if you're holding on to anything too tightly and God says, no, I need to take it away from you, whether it be your ego, your ideas, the words, the creativity, a business, a ministry, you know, if, if it hurts a lot more for him to pry those fingers open than if you're just holding it with an open hand. And uh, that's a great, a great mindset. Um, it, you, you, the theme that you kind of touched on several times there is learning to listen, both for the executives as well as for those creatives. And it, it just reminds me of a book that I'm reading through right now, kind of a, I don't know if it's a hot topic, but it's a topic that's starting, starting to bubble up there in the non-Christian space about uh, psychological safety. And uh, the book is fearless. It's not written from a Christian perspective but it's really about how do you create an environment where it's a, it's a people can be fearless with their ideas and you have to have leadership and foster a culture of people being willing to listen. And, uh, I think, uh, yeah, what, what the advice you gave is, is really, really apropos, really, really good. Um, so, so, so you have worked with a lot of established organizations, ERLC, NRB, and almost in a kind of a, a turnaround mode, helping them turn the directions on the communication. So just talk about your approach when you enter an organization, maybe that has a lot of upside potential, but they may have some barriers to overcome. So just how do you approach that, that type of a setting? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I did set out to do this, you know, early in my career, but it's just kind of where the Lord's led me and I really enjoy it. And in fact, if you count my, the church that I left before I came to ERLC, that's really three places where I went and kind of did a revitalizing turnaround mm. uh, mm-hmm. and we're kind of in the midst of that here at nrb and it's it's a, first of all it can be fun and invigorating yeah to yeah. see a legacy organization revitalized it gives a lot of energy gives a lot of um excitement i am someone who believes in institutions very deeply mm-hmm. and i think i think that our generation and younger tend to be anti-institutional but actually, we need to be think about institutions. Andy Crouch talks about this, but institutions are how pe- people flourish. So we need to be mm-hmm. thinking about what institutions can I be a part of to help revitalize? What institutions can I launch and start? Mm-hmm. And I like revitalizing legacy institutions. I just think it's, it's a lot of fun to see institutions get energy. So there are a couple of things you have to think about. I think number one, um, you've got to go in you know, the, the, the institutions have to be ready for change. They mm-hmm. have to understand we need to, we need to turn around here. So mm-hmm. I think that's very important. If, if they don't understand that, then it's impossible to change. I think number two, you have to manage the pace of change. 
and you have to take the long view. Mm -hmm. It can be easy for us to be impatient and want to do everything right away. And I think if you change too quickly, too fast, you actually, you know, you, you, you're bringing people along. Yeah. Right. Good yeah. leaders bring people along. So you have to kind of have that fine line of, you don't want to be too far ahead of people because then yeah. no one's following you. And I've seen that and it's, you know, it doesn't go well for leaders like that. You have to be it's yeah. attuned to your people, your staff, but also your constituency. Yeah. But then you also you don't want to be the place where you don't move at all because, because people are attracted to momentum and they, they mm -hmm. want to go where there's momentum. So you have to kind of manage that. I think one of the ways to do that is to go in and f identify what are the, what are the low hanging fruit? What are the easy wins we can accomplish right away? Yeah. What are yeah. the things that we can do and that, that are easy to accomplish in a short time frame? And if you, you start piling some quick wins, yeah, yeah, if you start piling up those early wins, you build momentum for, for yeah. larger scale projects. You have to do this for a couple of reasons. You have to do this one to kind of win over people. And then to get people to sit up and say, oh, okay, something's going on there. That's different. Yeah. Uh, but then also, also budget wise, just practically speaking, you know, when you first go into a place, you may have, you may be flush with money or you may not be. So you have to find mm -hmm. things around the margins, around the edges that you can change mm -hmm. uh, in order to, uh, to, to, to do that. And I think the other thing is you have to get the right people on the team. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, in getting the right team around you. And again, this takes time. As you know, you've been part of several yeah. organizations and building a team and a culture that mm -hmm. is excited about, about the future, uh, about what can happen. Uh, you, we tend to sometimes, you know, hi, I think hiring decisions are critical. Yeah. You know, I think I have a friend, one of my old bosses used to say with hiring, better to have pain on the, on the front end than the back end. In other words, better to wait, have to wait too long to fill a hole than to wish, yeah. you know? So I think those are really, really important things of, you know, and, and I think turning around organizations is, is exciting. People look at that yeah. and they like to see things, uh, especially in this digital age, um, you know, to see things rebranded and revitalized. No, that's, that's so key that you focus. I mean, it's, you've, it, whether it's the audience we're serving or the folks that are, that we're working together with, it, it's about the team and uh, very often quoted Jim Collins, you know, it's, it's a, before you decide where you're going and what you're, what you're about, he would say, get your, get your people right first, the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats on the bus. And then it makes the, the whole journey uh, so much uh, more able, not just able to get there, but more right. enjoyable along, along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, so, um, one of the, uh, one of the things when you're in a new role, you know, there's lots of ideas that you could choose from and you said, you know, test or you, you said hey, tackle the low hanging fruit, which is mm -hmm. great. What are some ways that you've been able to test new ideas to know, okay, here's a low hanging fruit. How do you determine what works, what doesn't work? What do you hang on to? What do you let go? Just talk to me about your process of testing new ideas. Yeah, I, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think you could, you could beta test that way a little bit, right? You could do some beta yeah. testing of like what works, what resonates. Um, uh, 
I'm a big believer in that too. Before you launch a big, huge new thing, which may end up being a big deal, try it on a smaller level mm -hmm. uh, with a smaller group to see what it is and you can learn and tweak that, right? So this is just a very simple thing that we're doing at NRB and we're still in the midst yeah. of rebrand. We're about to launch a new website and new branding and stuff in the next few weeks. But um, we wanted to do like, webinars and stuff you know that was kind of 2020 was sort of the, the era the age yep. for that because yep. of covid and so we hadn't really done anything when i got there um and so we just started do a, doing a bunch of stuff it was pretty easy to pull off the zoom and all that and we just it was kind of wild west you know let's mm -hmm. just and then we just started looking at everything and saying okay what works what doesn't work what's effective mm -hmm. and so we have a, a little bit more cohesive strategy going into 2021 mm -hmm. uh, when I was at ERLC, we were good at this. You know, we were known at the end, but for our big events that we did that were, I think, really helpful. In the beginning, we did some smaller things. Let's get a group of pastors together or let's let's invite this amount. Let's have this, have a one-day thing or a two-day thing, see if we can do this. And then you just kind of learn from it and figure, oh, we could pull off a bigger thing. We can do this. Or, you, you know, if you're, if it's a content idea, one of the things I always recommend is don't overcommit yourself. Mm. So you're going to start a podcast. Yeah. You think right now you could do a daily podcast because you're all excited about it. But are you going to want to keep doing the daily podcast in three weeks when you don't feel like getting up and recording it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah. start out with a weekly, start out with a biweekly. Yeah. Right. Don't overcommit. Uh, you're going to do a web series a series of articles or a series of whatever. Don't overcommit yourself. Don't overpromise. Yeah. yeah. I think overpromising, you, you want to actually underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. Surprise people yeah. with that. And then you can always build and expand on what you're doing. No, that's 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 really helpful. Yeah. So Dan, what's one book or blog or resource that you've been reading recently that our audience might find helpful you'd want to pass on to them? Yeah, so I read quite a bit. Um, right now, I'm reading this book by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's, a, mm. it's like 400 pages. Um, but it's really interesting about how, just kind of tour through a little bit through history about how we got to the place where, you know, we, it's all about the self. You know, we're not, mm. we don't have a sense of the, in, in the culture, a sense of the transcendent. It's all about me and about like, you affirming my decisions and my choices. It's really making me think about a lot of different things. So I do highly recommend it. Um, yeah. I'm also reading, um, and conservatives like me are going to be triggered when I say this, but I read widely. So just, mm -hmm. there's a disclaimer. I'm reading President Obama's memoir, hmm. you know, and I didn't, I didn't vote for him either, Tom. I disagree with him yeah. on, on a lot of things. What's your but biggest learning it, from the memoir so far? But it's interesting to read through his, you know, what the cool things about memoirs and biographies is you're touring history through someone's eyes. Yeah. And there's yeah. always something we can learn, right? And one of the things Absolutely. I'm learning from him, from him is just how he kind of viewed his rise as something that he couldn't control. Like he just kind of hmm. rode this crest. I mean, him and his wife periodically hmm. saying, can you believe this is happening? I mean, here's a guy who was a state senator. And I, I know I'm from mm -hmm. Illinois, so I had a personal thing at stake in it. He lost his first race for Congress. 
uh, he was state senator. He's driving back and forth to Springfield. He's kind of getting tired of it a little bit. Um, he was a lawyer. He's teaching. They had student loans and credit card debt. And they're just like, how are we holding two kids? And how are we going to do this? And he says, he asked his wife, well, I'm going to run for Senate. I'd like to run for Senate. She was against it. Mm-hmm. She said, okay, you got one more shot at this politics thing. And after that, I'm done. Because she's having to work and hold mm-hmm. it all together, as you can imagine. And uh, he wins in a series of circumstances, you know, like the candidate in the primary and the candidate in the general election both had scandals that blew up that kind of paved his way through. And then he ran. And then two years later, he's thinking it'd be ridiculous if I ran for president. Like I've only been in the Senate for two years, but everyone's like, man, you should ride this. And so he runs for president, Hmm. you know, the 2008 crash financial crash and he even mm-hmm. acknowledges i'm probably not in office if that crash doesn't happen and iraq war doesn't go badly so it's just interesting to read it through his time you know um hmm. again i disagree with him but i i like to read people who disagree just to kind of learn something you know so i'll probably that's be branded a heretic man. for yeah. for admitting that but it's okay that, i mean that's a that's helpful for even for me to hear cuz uh, you use the term bubble earlier it's it's it is so easy for us to get in our christian bubble yeah. and uh, not uh, i mean that's what that's what really what what christ did he he came down he didn't come mm-hmm. for the uh, the healthy he came for the sick he got out of the bubble to interact with with people that had different ideas and uh, not that he let those ideas influence him but it was a, it was an opportunity for impact. And uh, no, that's, that's really good. That's really good. For the audience, if, uh, if you haven't picked up a book of Away With Words that, that Dan written, he wrote it last year, you really need to. I know I've bought it a couple weeks ago. I haven't gotten very far because my other book is stacks, but it's on my stack of books that I'll be, that I'll be getting to. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited to, to just anybody who's engaging in the culture from a Christian perspective, I mean, we can always be encouraged and challenged to, to speak winsomely. And, uh, and it's not just about how to do it, but also the, uh, the, the theology, the reasoning behind it. So uh, um, Dan, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they, if they wanna reach out? Well, they can go to my website, danieldarling.com. Uh, I have a newsletter people can sign up for that information about my books there. I have a podcast uh, that I, once a week I interview folks and then I'm, I'm on social media. So Twitter, if you're a Twitter person at Dan Darling, yeah. if you can put up with my sports takes and everything else that I'm, <laughs> I'm doing up there. So great, great. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. This has been really, really helpful for me personally. And I know it has been for our audience as well. So uh, I wish you the best. And uh, um, Yeah, look forward to hearing some of your new books that are coming out as well. Well, thank you, Chad. I appreciate it.